I'm going to be very candid with you. We are living in a computer program reality. Welcome everyone to Simulation Nation, your portal to all things virtual. We record our episodes of Adult Space every week, and you can join us for free, even if you don't have a VR headset. Yes, it's true. Just log into Alt Space from your laptop or PC, in our event, and teleport in to offer your opinion, question, or whatever else. Today, we are very excited to talk to the creator and director of a virtual reality movie in which you play the lead role. The film that combines live performance, the visual and immersive feel of a film, and the emotional connection to collaborative storytelling. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm emoji welcome, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Um, I just did the experience uh, on uh, Saturday, and so I'm super excited to get into it all with you. Um, First of all, I'll just say how immensely impressed I was. Uh, the level of detail, the level of effort that you put in, the world building, character building, the backstory building, the making the experience fun and immersive and easy uh, as can be in a virtual world where things can go wrong all the time. So I really do appreciate all the effort and work that you put into it. And thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you so much. We did. We worked really, really hard. So when somebody says that they acknowledge that, it, it makes a big difference, actually, because because uh, this project was, you know, over two years in the making. Um, a lot of really, really a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy, not just for me, but a, a whole host of people that worked on it. So um, we had a blast with you and I'm so glad that you had fun and um, and thanks for the kind words. Well, you know, I would love to do it again because I feel like now I got a handle of it and I feel like, oh, I could have a better comeback. I could like try this other little thing and maybe I'll not follow the rules so much and be free to like experiment. You know, uh, I felt like I was uh, I wanted I didn't want to mess up the plot. So I kind of stayed within the lines. How do you find do you find a lot of people do that? Stay in line or do you find people? And it's true that you really have agency to affect the story. Um, and it seems hard to believe because it's a live performance. And, you know, how could you have branching storylines with live actors? But the truth is, we do. We've rehearsed um, a bunch of different endings and a bunch of different kind of uh, mini side stories. Um, I mean, we're not as robust as like an RP, like a role playing game that's, you know, coming out of a AAA studio. Um, but as you said, most people are afraid of like breaking us basically like mm -hmm. that's what they say they don't want to disrupt the story um the truth of the matter is that nobody's broke us yet i mean we've been right. running this show for for a long time um and how i kind of you know i analyze all of our heroes behavior and i kind of categorize them we have to we do a lot of analysis of our heroes mm -hmm. so that we know what to expect and, and how they might behave later on um and what it's what I've discovered is that our, the first time somebody comes through, they do it mostly like you do. They play it pretty safe. Um, they're just kind of, you know, sometimes even overwhelmed with like all the shit that's happening all around us. Um, and then I always encourage them, you know, come back again and and try not, try, not necessarily try to break us, but like take take impulsive choices, like make impulsive choices that you think, right. you know, would be fun to explore. And you're and you don't know what's going to happen um, because most likely we've had we've had somebody already try that. And so we're, mm. we're, we're pretty much set for that. That's kind of what I would say is like level two of our project is when somebody comes in who isn't 
afraid to to push and pull on the experience um and we do get people like that sometimes like more experienced role players will come in and they'll be kind of comfortable and ready to 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 push back or to try different things um but there's actually a whole third level of this project um that nobody has really unlocked yet um and i keep waiting to see if somebody will and what might happen um but there's a whole there's a there's a level of this project where the the hero is making choices that we've never seen or 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 talking about things or suggesting ideas that that are novel to us that we haven't rehearsed mm. or we haven't seen with the hero and i think my 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 hypothesis is that there are still large areas of our story that are unexplored and we mm. are just kind of waiting for somebody to come and suggest something new to kind of put us on our toes to see where we can go. Obviously, we have a finite number of sets and, you know, we're yeah. we're, we're not completely off the rails. We're not a sandbox, you know, we're not we're, we're not yeah. that direction. Um but I I believe honestly that they're in addition to making kind of really creative choices and and testing out other endings as we do have several other endings. Um I think there's mm-hmm. also a whole another explored uh, area to be explored. Um, and I'll report back to you when somebody uh, somebody pushes us there, or maybe you come back and and, and do that. Um, that's the fun about this type of experience is that it's it's super flexible, and we want it to be um, you know as flexible as possible. So we, we want yeah. people to kind of push us to the edges, so we can see like, oh, okay, I think we've reached the end of the line here. Um, now, what can we do? What can we add? Yeah, it's well, very it, much a, an, a live a live and living organism, you know. Yeah. So I know we, you know, a- a- Axel Lodel here and, and Lolly and, and, uh, and this uh, gentleman, uh, a pimp named Slickback, uh, maybe they haven't been and maybe they will go. Are you, do you want to give them a tiny little clue as to what they might do to unlock this hidden level? Oh, they're not ready for it. <laughs> they're not ready for <laughs> okay. it. They're not ready for it. Only, I would only have that conversation with somebody like you who's done it once. Um, for the for the uninitiated, I, I I think it would be too overwhelming. Actually, I think there's you know there's a lot. It's a it's an over an hour. Um, uh, I think yours was about an hour and twenty minutes. Um, mm. I think the for the for the first time uh, hero, it's probably best. They probably have a better time if they just go in there without too much knowledge, follow our prompts, read our mission briefing document, and just go in kind of clean. Because um, mm. I don't. I think people. My experience is that. Um, you know, a lot of our heroes find, you know, they're really excited to do it, but they also get a little bit nervous because they just don't know what to expect. And maybe they haven't done a lot of role play. And so a lot of what we do is just try to make our heroes feel super comfortable and relax as fast as we can, because we know we watch it all the time. Once once everybody kind of unwinds and the, and the nerves kind of die down a little bit and we get into a groove and it's mostly the more you talk, essentially, the most, the more you interact with those mm-hmm. characters, the more comfortable right. st- people start to feel. Then that's really when the experience. So I think those come first time, just like you did, just kind of you know, world and being like, oh, you know, this gun actually works, and you know, what happens if I if I shoot you, you know, like that kind of a thing. Um, and then I think from there, then it can get really interesting. So I, I absolutely invite you to come back and maybe bring, um, uh, bring your partner in crime and, and that, yeah. that dynamic right there will instantly kind of change things. Once you have a, a, a friend in there, now you guys yeah. are going to start riffing off each other. Are you right. agreeing or disagreeing? Do you kind of bond with different characters? So there's, there's just a lot of, of possibility. 
Yeah, Futurosity, uh, who is my partner in crime here, he was uh, he was going to come, but then just had uh, Wi-Fi issues and technical sure, issues and wasn't sure. able to enter. But for sure, uh, you know, we would be able to play off each other, and that would add a sense of comfort. And I know you've added the two uh, two hero stories recently, right? So this is something new you're trying, and maybe that maybe that's why. Maybe it helps people become more comfortable, and they have someone to rip off of or something like that. It really does. I mean, our project is very much rooted in experimentation. Um, so at the at, at the core of our mission is, um, I, I tell people, our, the, our, the mission of our project is to explore best practices for live fiction interactive VR storytelling. So it's a pretty broad, pretty broad mission. But we're very much interested in extreme agency. We want our players to come in and feel like they're in the middle of a of a D&D campaign. Uh, or feel like they're in the middle of, you know, uh, a futuristic sci-fi experience that could only happen in VR. Um, when we built Alien Rescue, we really built it for one hero. Um, and uh, once we started running the one hero shows, we, we had a lot of people asking, oh, I'd love to do this with a friend, or can I bring my sister in, or my, could we do it as like a date? Um, and so we're like, yeah, absolutely. So we started doing two hero shows and they were completely successful from the get-go. Like it was just, we, we knew within the first 10 minutes that it was a great idea. Now we've run a bunch of two hero shows. Now we're experimenting with four hero shows. We've yeah. just done our four hero show um, about two weeks ago. And we had a couple of technical glitches with just the VR gods, you know, frowning on us a little bit, but it didn't really have anything to do with the four heroes. It was more network stuff and, you know, bandwidth shit. Um, but what we discovered with four heroes is that it's completely chaotic and crazy fun. Right. Um, so right. we've got a bunch more, we've got like three or four more four hero. Uh, we call them like experimental shows. Those are all on the pipeline for um, September, October. I'm fairly confident that we're going to start running. Uh, we're going to start offering tickets for um for audiences and they're going to be able to kind of choose like do you want to do four do you want to do three do you want to do two do you want to do one that's really mm -hmm. helpful for us as a um as a revenue um stream because we you know we're not making really any money on this project but it does cost a good amount of money to run the project um so right. those hero tickets the hero ticket for alien rescue is 30 bucks um so if we can sell you know four of those for a show yeah. it starts to offset some of our our costs um and like i said it's it's seems to be like it's a really fun thing for a group of people so um we continue to experiment we continue to test um but you know i see a possible landscape in the future for uh you know nearly nearly open world kind of west world kind of a vibe like if you kind of just mm -hmm. sit back and imagine how you might scale up this type of interactive shared storytelling um you can really start to imagine like a, a little a little universe where you've got uh, almost unlimited number of he uh, heroes as long as you can match that with an appropriate number of live actors maybe some ai driven npcs you know the future is really mm -hmm. uh really interesting to think about in terms of this type of storytelling yeah, well, I definitely want to get into all of that. Uh, but uh, before I do, I should <laughs> mention that if anybody here has tried Alien Rescue, if you're curious to try and you have a question, please do use the raise hand option. Uh, Stefan Braun or Lolly or uh, Axel Total or Derek, good to see you. And, and uh, Kurt, of course, uh, and David, anyone has any uh, questions or anything, please use the raise hand option. We'll, we'll grab you. Um, you know, I, if I was really prepared, I would have had an Atari that I could have sacrificed at the beginning of this episode, <laughs> which you did at the beginning. And I just thought, you know, it's such a fun, cool thing to do. And it just shows that, you know, this guy is going, he's, he's, he has a passion for this. He's 
always had a passion for this gaming idea that uh, goes way back to the Atari in the 70s or whatever. And it just is such a fun way to set it off. Like, we're here to have fun. We're, we're being creative, we're, you know, and we're going into it. So I, even that was such a great way to start. Uh, it's uh, funny that you said it. So many people make that same comment. And, you know, it, uh, it's just it's it's really good feedback for me to know that, like, sometimes even just the small personal gestures totally. are are, are even more effective some some of the bigger you know more uh, ambitious types of things that we do um so it just reminds me that like you know personal storytelling and connecting um the story that you're telling to you as the storyteller audiences really engage with that they really like that the fact that they they feel like the storyteller is super passionate about what they're doing and i absolutely am yeah. and um and that atari man i i would have never sacrificed that as a kid like i would have guarded <laughs> right, that thing right, with my right. life <laughs> right well, yeah, it's kind of what Quentin Tarantino says, right? Something that makes you turn too, a little too nervous to share, right? And it's sort of like something Ooh, I personal like goes a like long that. way. That's um, a and great that's actually, yeah, it's actually a perfect segue to where we'd love to start. Let's wind uh, the clock back a little bit and, and talk about the origin story of who you are, how you got involved in virtual reality, and how you came up with this project. Sure. Um, well, I'm... Uh... I'm from California and was born in the late 60s. And so uh, my early cinematic experiences as a kid um, absolutely involved um, Star Wars, the original one in 1979. I was, you know, a 10-year-old or an 11-year-old or 9-year-old. Um, and I remember vividly going to that movie, standing in the line. I was with my parents, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Um, and I and I vividly, I have this memory that's always stayed with me. It was during one of the Millennium Falcon TIE fighter fights where um, Luke and Han are both in their chairs and they're swiveling around and they're shooting the TIE fighters. Um, mm -hmm. and, and Han uh, says something like, great shot, kid. And there's a high five moment. And this is moment where I was like, oh my God, like not only do I love this movie, but I really had this urge to like leap through the screen and I wanted to be in that scene with Luke and Han in that moment. I wanted my own chair for Jason right next to them. And I just imagined like what it must be like to be in that story world, to be inside that world. Um, that idea always stood uh, kind of kept with me. And um, in my subsequent research, when I've read about other storytellers or video game designers or, or filmmakers, uh, it's amusing how often that type of anecdote comes up, that notion that we want to to transcend the the flat 2D experience and kind of step into the screen and and go into the movie's world. Like I think uh, it's it was rather surprising me to, to, to realize that a lot of people shared this type of fantasy. Um, so I ended up going to film school at UCLA and uh, I started my career as a young director um, directing TV commercials mostly, but, you know, some reality TV and some theater. I, got, I also had a theater degree from UCLA. Um, and I, I always kind of combined my love of, of, of working with actors with my love for um, kind of cinematic uh, movies and, and TV and commercials. Um, and I think like like any filmmaker, we're always thinking about immersion to some degree. We're, we're, we're wondering what we can do with whatever technologies and tools we have to kind of suck our audiences into our stories whether it's um, shooting anamorphic widescreen or shooting an IMAX or looking at 4K, like all of these technological advances, um, you know, storytellers like us, we see that as maybe a way to pull our audiences even closer to the story. So when VR technology came out um, around, you know, 2015 or so, 360 was kind of coming around. 
um, I, I started poking around and I was, I've always been like a, a science-y kind of a nerd guy. Like I just, I've always liked technology. So I had that background of like theatrical storytelling, like, you know, live theater, filmmaking and technology. They're all kind of part of who I am. When I first uh, realized that there was some kind of over the counter, off the shelf uh, VR technology available, it instantly got me thinking about storytelling. Like there was, it was just a, didn't even take a second to think like, oh, of course I would use VR to mm -hmm. tell a story. High Fidelity mm -hmm. was a social VR platform um, run by Philip Rosedale uh, from like 2016 to 2019. And it was free and it was available. And when I first got my, my original Vive, uh, I discovered High Fidelity and I downloaded it. And I, and I knew then that I, I thought maybe I could build a little virtual world and then tell some type of movie you know, inside that world. Um, and as I started thinking about it and researching and experiencing other VR movies, I kept coming back. I kept getting disappointed, frankly. Um, I kept getting disappointed that I was in these virtual worlds and the storytelling might've been good, but all the characters were kind of traditional, you know, pre-recorded NPCs um, that never recognized or acknowledged my presence in the world. So we were both in this virtual world together and the story was laid out, but I I was just invisible to everybody and it felt wrong. It just didn't work. And so I just thought, well, shoot, I love working with live actors. Um, what if, you know, everybody was a live actor and they could like, you know, talk to you and, and respond to you. Um, this is like in 2016 or so. So this wow. is, you know, uh, a while ago. Um, and so I started experimenting in high fidelity and I, I, I came up with the idea of the meta movie project. And the idea was that this was going to be a kind of a mission, a research-based, experimental-based project where we would just um, write and, and produce and direct little skits and iterate on that and just try to learn and test and, 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 mess, and mess around. And uh, the first project that I did was called um, A Very Old Mystery in New New York. It was only about 15 minutes long. It was in high fidelity, and it was a little murder mystery, kind of a Sherlock Holmesian thing. Um, and I... I brought in at the time I didn't call them heroes. I called them VIPs, but I brought in a couple of my friends and the, the notion back then was um, you can't talk to the, the actors. Like the actors are going to talk to you. Mm. Uh, and I had people role play as like a little kid. And I said, listen, you know, uh, you're a little kid, but these older people, they, they don't really like kids. Um, they, they tolerate you being around, but they don't really like kids. So you really just need to be quiet and stay out of their way. I told them that they could gestulate with their, with their hands. They could wave. They could point and stuff. And I had some – they had an agency in the story where they could point and they could help find things, but they couldn't talk. Um, and I remember I asked my wife to come in, um, and I said, you know, you've got to role play as this little kid, and you've got to kind of stay out of the way. And um, she doesn't listen to me really that often. So she came in and she instantly just started completely role playing as a kid. I don't know if she talked that much, but she she kind of pushed the agency even farther than I had planned on it. And at first I was in shock. I was like, wait, wait, no, no, no. That's not how you're supposed to do it. And then I realized it was working. Like the, the actors loved it and they were interacting and she was having a blast. And so then I started thinking, all right, I've got to start just iterating on agency. Agency became a really big part of what I wanted to do. And every person that came through and tested it out, they all told me the same thing. We want more agency. We want, we want to be able to talk to the actors. So that was the next thing that I did was I started allowing people to talk to the actors. I did another project in High Fidelity in 2017 called um, Heist, uh, more ambitious. With uh, I built an entire like 16-block patch of New York City. 
Um, we had multiple buildings with, you know, uh, interiors. We had a more complex storyline. And the hero, the, the VIP, I wasn't calling them a hero yet, they could fully talk to the characters and they had agency in the story. We had um, divergent um, storylines and, and branching story paths. Um, and although it was mostly full of disasters and breaking and 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 having things go wrong, um, because we were really pushing our our envelope and our own comfort level, um, that was the curve where I think me and my collaborators really learned the most. Like we really we got broke all the time. Like people came in and just did things that we weren't prepared for, and it was mm -hmm. it could be soul crushing sometimes because it's like no, this is not what we planned on, um, right. and people disobeyed our rules and they 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 would spawn in their own guns and kill us all. It was really it was wow. really really difficult, and so. Um, but at the end of that, we did that for about a year and we just gathered so much data, basically. We just ran so many shows and we learned so much that like we grew up during that period. Oh. Fidelity closed down, they ran out of money. And so in 2018, I started looking around for a new metaverse um, to run this project in. By that time, there were more metaverses. VR chat had kind of matured a little bit. Sansar was around and quite active. Mm -hmm. um, Altspace was around. Um, uh, hubs had maybe just come into existence. So there were quite a few options. And of course, Neos. Um, Neos had been around for about a year or so. So we world hopped and we talked to creators and across all these different platforms. Ultimately, I, I, I had an avatar designer and, you know, avatar design for, um, or fiction storytelling in VR, I think is is really, really, really important. This is your, mm. uh, it's your casting, it's your hair and makeup, mm. it's your wardrobe, kind of all baked into one, right? So you you can't really mess that up if you're if you're serious. Um, so I had an avatar designer, um, really amazing avatar designer, Ultranake, won some uh, avatar design contests in Neos. That's how I met him. And I asked him, he went world hopping with me. I said, listen, man, I am tasking you with building me like 10 to 12 of the most detailed and most beautiful avatars that are, is possibly can be done. Which platform will give you the tool sets to do that the best? And he said, Neos. Mm -hmm. And so I, I talked to the folks at Neos and I learned their... Um, their tool set and, and what they had to offer. And it was pretty clear to me that while it's a pretty niche and small platform, uh, the tool sets were pretty superior to all the other ones. Um, so I decided on Neos and I spent uh, two years making Alien Rescue inside Neos, um, working with a team of really amazing builders, programmers, alternate my avatar designer. Um, I brought most of the same actors that I used in um, my previous work and our, our, our mm -hmm. little acting troupe kind of has grown over the years. So now there's five or six of us. Um, and we spent two years. We just iterated, you know, as as mm -hmm. as I was rewriting the script, the world builders were building. And as soon as we get one of the we have about seven major sets in Alien Rescue, as soon as we had the first set built, uh, we'd hop in there and, and rehearse all the blocking and all the interactivity and, and the branching storylines. And we just iterated, you know, we, uh, the world builders are building and we're rehearsing and we're kind of just playing leapfrog. Um, and uh, and yeah, that's that's kind of been the process. Um, I've been in Neos yeah. now since like 2018 um, and we're just yeah. having a, a blast on this project. It's been really, really amazing, I have to say. Yeah, well, I, I could see how it, it, it doesn't quite. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't. Alt space has its specialties, but I don't think you'd be able to pull something like you're doing uh, here. But it, it, I guess the trade-off is that you, you're doing high-end VR, where you have to have either a link or you have to have a some other uh, you know system to be able to pull it off. So the trade-off is you get less people, but it's higher quality experience. Uh, so it's it's a tricky yeah. one. 
Um, it's it's a, bummer. That's a really hard decision to make too. So, you know, but you just gotta, gotta go with your gut and uh, I'm, I'm happy with what we've done. Absolutely. And before we go on to uh, some of the other elements of your storytelling, um, we see on uh, behind us here your other your second skin. This is your third skin, which you're in today, of <laughs> totally. course. This yeah. is your alt space. I would love skin. to. I would love this to port your first my bulldog skin. over to alt space. Yeah. Uh, so, so how it was was that designed for you as well, or why did you choose the bulldog as your first? Skin? Or were you given that for birth? Uh, I, um, so I think, you know, a lot of people when they, um, when they're first into VR, they, you know, discover what it feels like to inhabit an avatar. Um, you kind of look at your hands a lot, you know, and, and the more time you spend on whatever social VR platform, um, you, uh, you consider like your home, um, you know, then customizing that avatar becomes rather important. Um, and in high fidelity, like many social VR platforms, uh, you've got avatar designers who are making really creative avatars that are maybe different from the stock avatar you're able to just get from whatever the platform offers. And so um, I met this guy, uh, Chris Ultranique McBride, who um, is an avatar designer, um, and I just loved his work. It's a very special type of avatar that he does. Um, and at some point, I was like, all right, I've been in VR long enough. It's time for me to get my own custom avatar, something that really I feel like expresses who I am. Um, and so, yes, I'm a bulldog lover. I own two bulldogs. But actually, the uh. story behind that avatar is that when my wife and I got married, uh, a friend of ours who's a sculptor uh, sculpted us a little um, centerpiece or a top piece, whatever, for our, our wedding cake. And there's this little tiny sculpture of uh, a dog and a cat in formal wear. Um, at the time, my wife had a bulldog and I had a little cat. And they came together and learned how to live together. And so this sculptress friend of ours built us this little avatar. And the guy, the male on it, was basically this avatar right here. It was a bulldog head with a bow tie and a, and a tuxedo on. Um, and I always just loved that little figurine. I just thought it was super cute. And when I started thinking about avatars, I was like, ah, I mean, that seems like a perfect fit. And so I've been in that avatar now since... 2017, 2018, I, I feel like I feel kind of weird when I look at like normal human hands. So right, right. I got to meet somebody here That's in Altspace right. that can figure out a way to like do a, a custom version of that for Altspace. I did. I do have it over yeah. in VR chat. So it's nice to be able to, to world hop from one platform to the next and kind of stay in your skin. It's really uh, satisfying, actually. So totally. um, uh, love what the stuff, oh. that, you know, the Ready Player Me folks are, are really kind of driving that interoperability uh, thing. Um, so hopefully, right. hopefully in the future, we'll all be able to kind of take our take our persona with us wherever we go. It. That's the that's the next stage, hopefully. So yeah, if anyone has has tried Alien Rescue or wants to ha uh, try and has a question uh, for the creator himself right here, uh, please do use the raise hand option. It will call on you. In the meantime, uh, one of the things. Thanks for coming, everybody. That, yeah, one of the reasons that I feel like you are the preeminent storytelling experience in virtual reality is because of all the attention to detail. Here's just a part of the backstory. That is provided for you before we enter the event. And we, of course, bring in our own backstories. So myself, Johnny Android, we come from Earth EI2. We have our, you know, our, our truth in here. This is not fiction. This is reality. And so we brought that over to you. And then we integrate our uh, uh, personas into your show. And so tell me uh, why you thought it was important to bring backstories in and, and how that uh, is helpful in immersion. Yeah, so you know, I often will describe uh, Alien Rescue as a as a mashup that takes elements from um, live theater because we are a live performance with live actors. 
we take elements from cinema. Um, I'm a film director and the stories that I like to tell uh, and the environments that I like to be in, I think are very cinematic in nature. Um, we take a lot from video games. Uh, so we have uh, all sorts of kind of interactivity. We've got weapons that work with a health and damage system. Um, so you do feel like, you know, when you're in a, a combat situation in Alien Rescue, like there you, are, you can get killed, you know. Uh, and then the, the final aspect and really one of the most important aspects is role playing like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, when we bring you into Alien Rescue, we, we don't we kind of throw out the idea of audiences altogether. Everybody who's there is role playing. Our heroes like you are role playing as a member of the Luchi, this activist group who's going on this rescue mission. Um, and in order for that role play to work, in order for us to have this sense of um, immersion, really deep immersion in the story, um, we don't want you to come in as Johnny or Jason uh, from, you know, whatever state you're from, whatever city you're from. That's not the idea. You're this character in this story. You can use your name, but we want you to we really want you to be this character. And we never break character. Like in, in Alien Rescue, we'll never acknowledge the real world. If you bring up, if any, if any hero ever brings up the outside world, we just feign ignorance. Like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Like we're, you know, we're on the planet Palnetta and we're on this mission. And reality for us, just like you here, you know, you, you create your own mythology and you kind of hang in there. So, thing is that most of our audiences are not experienced role players, even if they played D&D &D when they were a kid or, you know, have some idea about role play. You know, most people, you know, need a little bit of coaching. Um, so we used to try to coach people kind of right on the spot, like 10 minutes before the show. Man, that did not work. People got so nervous. Um, they just, you know, you're, you are the center of attention when you are the hero. Um, you know, all the characters are looking at you. They're asking you questions. You know, it can be a little bit, you know, anxiety. Um, can create a little bit of anxiety and we, you know, a little bit of nervousness is good. It makes the stakes higher, but we don't want somebody to be so nervous that like it's, it's not fun for them. So that's why we start using this. Um, we call it a mission briefing document. We just send out a little email with a couple of paragraphs about like what this story thing is that we're doing. We call it shared storytelling. Um, and we just give you a couple little prompts. We ask you to, we say, basically, look, you don't have to do anything to prepare for this. You're, you just follow along. We're going to guide you along the way. But we do ask you, we want to know what you want to be called, like what, what name. Uh, we ask you to come up with your home planet. We're in a, a sci-fi scenario here. So just invent a, a fictional home planet and maybe a couple of sentences about what it's like there. Um, and then we ask you that immediately, like in the first five minutes, we ask you a little bit about your home planet to, to get you starting to contribute a little bit as a role player. Um, and then because the hero character wears an avatar with a very mysterious mask over the face, um, which we do to help um, help make anybody be able to be in that avatar. It's kind of a genderless avatar uh, with a little bit of air of mystery. So, you know, it makes it easier for just about anybody to hop into that avatar. But we have this little field on the face, like a Mandalorian, I guess, kind of a mask. And then we ask you, you know, I ask in this email, you know, start thinking my character in the story let me come up with a couple of ideas and then once we ask you that stuff i think it starts to help the, the give and take my my experience is that the more our heroes start talking and 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 get involved and just asking questions or sharing information the more they kind of relax and let their guard down and by about 10 minutes in we're already starting to bust each other's chops and and make kind of darky remarks at each other, you know, and that's when the real fun really takes off, yeah. right? Like once you really kind of feel like you're in the zone, 
um, that's when it starts to get really, really exciting. So yeah, we, we want to prep our, our audiences so that they, they know what they're getting into. Yeah. And, and just to be clear, you know, there's a lot of text uh, here on this slide, but it's not intimidating. If you didn't fall, if you didn't learn the text, uh, you know, it's not like you would miss out on the experience and you wouldn't be able to do it. You can, it's like, you can go at whatever layer of depth you want to go into it. If you just want to be surface level, show up and kind of wing it, you can do that. If you wanted to go really deep into it, you can do that too. So I, I appreciated the level uh, uh, that you created there where not everyone has to come in at the same level of uh, immersion. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, we, we definitely realize that, you know, just like, you know, for every single person in this audience, every single one of you would want a slightly different experience in our show. Uh, and so we really try to bend over backwards to accommodate for that. We, you know, we're totally fine with with any with any way you want to, like, do this thing. We have people who come in who don't barely even want to talk to us. They just want to, like, go through the maps and shoot things and play it more like a like a, a single player video game. That's totally fine if that's that's what's getting you, uh, you know, happy and, and bringing you enjoyment and making you smile. That's what we're here for. We have other people who come in and just kind of do the basics and, and that's fine too. And then we have some people who come in uh, who like are like, no, I'm here to role play and we're going to go deep. <laughs> and, you know, we've had shows that go on, you know, our, our average show runtime is around a, an hour and 15 minutes. I think yours is about an hour and 20 minutes or 25 minutes. Maybe um, we've had shows that have gone on for like an hour and 45 minutes with People, you know, get really deep into the role play and really right. exploring character building. Um, and honestly, any, any form of that is fun. We're just happy people are coming to the show, frankly. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Before we continue, here is a little word from our sponsor. Dates VR hosts speed dating events in virtual reality. It was created after two of the three founders met in the metaverse and are currently planning their wedding. Now they want you to have the same opportunity to find love. All you need to do is enter one of their events by getting the Altspace app. You don't even need a virtual reality headset. You can access it from your Mac or PC, and it's free. Search Dates VR on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook for a schedule of their events, and give yourself a chance to find your happily ever after with Dates VR. Okay, now back to the show. Um, well, you touched on uh, one of the most impressive aspects of the show, and I just wanted to touch on it. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, uh, was I like glitching there? Uh, I feel like I no, no, no. I was just, um, I just happened to I, I just look like I just like watching my hands in VR. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nice. Um, yeah. So the, the no, the world building element. I mean, you mentioned that there are seven worlds that you enter and move through. Um, and I guess seven big designs. I wasn't aware of that as I was going through. I was just aware of the immensity of it all. I felt like I was in the Death Star and I didn't know what was happening around every corner. And it was something exciting. Uh, we, you get into labs where there's hallucinogenic roots growing. You get into uh, these pods that you have to maybe uh, feed something or not feed something. You have this AI that is uh, permeating throughout with this voice that is either uh, going to be uh, helpful and friendly to you or potentially menacing and you don't really know. Uh, it's just in this, the scope of it is, is, is amazing. And you said you had a, did you have a team of world builders or you just had a single world builder? And no, we had a pretty big design? team. Yeah. So the, you know, the original plan was that alien rescue was going to be about 30 minutes. Um, but as we dug into the story and as I started to learn how Neos operated, I realized that Neos had so much potential um, that I kept adding to the story. I kept just adding more scenes and more scenes and more scenes. Um, so we ended up with a story that really just kind of expanded as we learned what was capable inside Neos. 
Um, so we started, our, our main team was um, one main 3D modeler, uh, one main programmer, one main kind of overarching designer who uh, kind of was like a conduit between me and the more hardcore dev team. Um, we had those three kind of working on the world. And then we brought in maybe one or two people uh, over a two year period. And some, you know, sometimes people left and sometimes people came back. So it was somewhere around three, three to five, maybe six people at the most working on this thing. Um, and, you know, Neos offers a really interesting way to, to world build um, in that Neos is like a game engine that you're inside of kind of like a Gary's mod um, kind of a vibe. So you, you don't have to build in the traditional way where you've got one person at a unity uh, uh, console building something in unity, baking it all, uploading it, looking at it, talking about it, making notes, and then going back to the 2d environment to, to make the notes. In Neos, you can kind of, rough out your stuff in uh in unity uh, or blender bring the stuff in and then there's a very very powerful set of building tools that allow you to do real-time collaboration um in a group mm. setting so most of the time um you know the designers would bring in uh like a rough draft and then instead of giving them a, l a long list of notes of let's change that lighting let's make that space 25 percent bigger let's add a door over there um there should be slime on the wall you know that texture is a little bit off all of that stuff can be just done immediately in real time, in game, in VR. Um, and that just means that that level of detail is much more attainable, I think, um, because not only can you make those changes uh, in real time, but you've got a big group of people all working together, like vibing on it together. You know, we've got music playing in the background and somebody is over here working on lighting and somebody over here is working on textures. And then our programmers building, you know, uh, logics is the end game uh, scripting program that Neos uses. We can have all of these different um, uh, people working in their specialties on the same uh, map at the same time, all in VR. Um, and I think that was really probably the most important way that we were able to make such a big experience. Oh, that's really uh, fascinating. Um, and the, the attention to detail, I mean, like, like I said, I, I feel like I need to go through it one more time to get the full, just absorb everything because there's so much to look at and so much to explore, so many nooks and crannies to walk down. And um, you have enough freedom that I feel like I, I just, uh, uh, scratch the surface. The other thing, of course, that is uh, so impressive beyond the world building is the character building. Uh, you talked about your troop of actors that have, have been with you and all have their specific characters. They've got lines, but they can improv also because you're playing off of them. And so for example, my, my headset was running low on battery. And so we built that into the story. And uh, my second skin, you know, because of my dimensional travel was causing uh, friction and it was a really great moment where in the game they just you know these actors came up with uh, a story to explain uh, real world technical issues uh, in a way that fit the story world so it was really clever um yeah so you're able to keep this troop uh, active and how many performances a week do you have and how do you guys do you guys work together to collaborate on the script or do you have a pre-written script so uh a couple of answers um yeah, our um, actors all come into Alien Rescue with a, a very specific kind of set of skills. Um, of course, they're trained actors and they have experience just acting in normal, uh, acting in general. Uh, I only really can use actors who are super comfortable improv uh, improvising because, as you said, anytime the hero opens their mouth to talk, 
we're going to go off script and we're going to engage with that hero. And the real challenge here is our script is about 60 pages long. Um, and we very much are not interested in random improvisation. We're not, we're not that type of story. We don't want to be on rails, but we don't want to just have free form improv. We're somewhere in between. We have, you know, a first and second and third act. We have conflict. We have rising action. We have, uh, you know, satisfying endings. We, we want to do all those things that are traditional to cinematic storytelling. So the actors are trained to not only know the script kind of inside and out, um, but anytime that a, a hero opens their mouth to talk, we put down the script metaphorically and engage with an improvised, an imp an imp an improvised moment with our hero. But we, we need to, and we practice this a lot, we need to know how long that improv moment should last. Like we don't mm -hmm. want to cut mm -hmm. our hero off and, and force them back onto the script, but we also have iBots that are there, you know, our sidekick audiences to entertain. Yeah. So we can't spend 15 minutes on some esoteric improv moment with the hero that might be fun for the hero, but not fun for anybody else. We just don't want to launch into some weird abstract, you know, dialogue. Um, so we have to kind of learn how to carefully steer our heroes back onto that, to that narrative track and get back to the script. Um, and of course the hero can, can interrupt a scene and can, and can change the way a scene plays out. So if you imagine the scene might take five minutes to play out. Um, and that scene itself has like a beginning and middle and an end, just like the whole movie has a beginning, middle and end. Well, we need to be able to, uh, because a, a hero might do or say something, we need to be able to tell that scene in reverse. If we have to, like, we might have to jump to the end of the scene because of something you've done and then find a way to scramble and get to that second chunk and that first chunk. Cause there's information that's happening in that scene. So not only do we have this show memorized, but we really have it memorized like forwards and backwards and in between. Like we could play out a scene in, in many different ways. As long as we, we know the story beats that we have to hit, we know what we have to get done before we move on to the next scene. So um, all of that takes uh, just an enormous amount of rehearsal. There's no way to do it other than just running the scene, bringing in a friend to play the hero, seeing what choices they make, seeing what they do, and, and just doing that. So we've really stuck together over the last couple of years because I think we've all realized that as we work together, we get better collectively at doing this fairly complicated thing. I was very, very happy that um, most, like, you know, from the from the five years that we've been together, we, there's a core of about five or six of us who really now um, know what we're doing um, inside and out. Um, so in terms of the, um, the kind of the character building and the story lore, what we've done is we've crafted very deep and rich backstories to every character, like you would do in, in any movie, but really these mm -hmm. backstories, they come out all the time because heroes will ask us about them. So we really try to craft a mythology of the of the story world beyond what is just on the page. There is a lot of information about the world of Alien Rescue that doesn't come up in any given performance, but we have it all memorized so that at the appropriate moment, uh, if you ask about something, just about anything that you point at and ask about in Alien Rescue, right. we have tons to talk about that thing rooted in the in the mythology of the story world. And that really helps us be able to confidently move from the rehearsed script into an improv moment and then back. Um, and then in terms of collaborating on the script, absolutely. We are, uh, you know, we work with a, a trained screenwriter, Chris Insana, who's out of Hollywood, and I'm a screenwriter by trade. So Chris and I do the, the most of the heavy lifting on the script, but uh, certainly the actors are 
completely rewriting all the dialogue to make it sound more comfortable for them. And then they're constantly sharing ideas and, and throwing out ideas. And if the ideas are good enough, we just put it right into the script. Same thing with our hero mm-hmm. characters. Our heroes constantly contribute stuff to the story. And when they come up with an interesting idea or an interesting backstory, we go back into the script and we bake that in. Um, for mm-hmm. example, every hero who shares their home planet, that home planet then gets baked into the lore of the wider mm-hmm. alien rescue universe. So now, if some other hero were to come through Alien Rescue, there is a slight chance that the concept of Johnny Android from Earth EI2, that now that person and that planet now does exist in reality for our project. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of really interesting kind of shared storytelling stuff going on. Cool. Oh, well, uh, if uh, I know that we have some world builders here. Darren has a world that's nine Ooh, cool. worlds big in here. And uh, uh, Enver Exit, anyone else, if you have any, uh, maybe even technical questions or anything uh, for Jason, uh, now's your chance. <laughs> I have a few more uh, thoughts here before we uh, conclude. Um, I, I just wanted to show this guy here. Uh, what a great character that you built with this scientist uh, that is hiding in the world and then um of course after the event (laughs) after the experience happens there's even an award ceremony uh which is like again above and beyond what i was expecting from this experience where not only have we gone through the experience but you've you've listened to it all you've uh categorized it you've you've taken out uh the extracted the best moments and then built an award around it in real time. I don't know how you pulled this off, but um, it's really incredible. And do you do this every show where you have this award server? This is me, by the way. So my uh, battery ran out at the exact last moment, which was perfect, but they, they threw um, trophies on my head. They were trying to put <laughs> after I was gone. Got, I, got awesome. I realized I got hacked basically, but in any case, That's so um, funny. So how, so how are you building these ideas for this award show as you go through the experience? Well, the, the award ceremony was something um, that I came up with because I really we're, we're trying so hard to train people to role play and we want them to really stay as committed as possible to the role play. Um, we don't really want somebody to come in and start um kind of dropping their character and goofing off. That's not really fun for us. We'd probably, in fact, if somebody came in and, and like stopped role-playing, we'd probably just keep shooting them until they got tired of dying and they left. Like, you know, cause we right. don't really, it's not within our scope of our project. We really want you to commit to your role-play. Um, and so I thought that this would be a way to really incentivize this. You know, I, I have a little five minute speech that I do at the beginning of the show. And I, I go out of my way to say, listen, we really encourage good role-play and, you know, uh, if you roleplay well enough, we have a word you might end up with a trophy. So I just try to plant that little idea in, in your head that, hey, we really want you to commit to your roleplay. And by the way, if you do, then, you know, you might get some uh, some recognition for that. Um, and so hopefully that tiny, you know, there's a lot going on, but hopefully in that moment, that idea kind of sticks in your head. Um, and then, of course, we, we want to follow through with that. We want to we want to reward you for your good roleplay. Um, so the actors um, are carefully diagnosing your behavior and watching how you play through the experience. Um, and we have about seven or eight different awards, uh, you know, given to certain types of players. So, you know, about halfway through the experience, the cast in the back of their heads are already starting thinking, ah, this guy's kind of going in this direction or this woman's going in this direction. So we kind of, we, we start to have an idea. And then at the end of the show, 
the actors kind of go and huddle and they all kind of talk amongst themselves and they kind of decide, you know, uh, what style of play the, the hero does. And we do generally give these trophies out. I mean, we, we want to reward people for their good role play. Um, but I will say that we have kind of, we don't really publicly talk about this that, this much, um, but I will disclose that we do have like layers of, um, of trophies. So some are like quite difficult to, uh, to win and achieve. Mm. Others are a little bit more generic, like, Hey, you showed up and you did a great job. And others <laughs> right. are like, no, you actually did a really good job and you're going to get that. So, um, there is, Whoa. you know, some motivation, I think, uh, now that I've disclosed that to, to really give us a great performance, but we, we just think it's a really fun way to end the show. And it kind of harkens back to, to movies like the Oscars and, you know, give, give somebody a trophy. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's part of us trying to really encourage people to, to do what we think is really fun to do, which is just kind of stick to that character. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I've got a rubber ducky in there, which I don't know if that was one of the, I know you have a lot of, <laughs> uh, uh, cook, uh, not cookies, what do you have in there? Easter eggs. Easter eggs. There. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah, know if that was yeah. one of them or not, but there's, there's so many it things was. Yeah, we, in the world. Yeah, we have we have a bunch of Easter eggs in there. Uh, the rubby ducky is the most common Easter egg, um, and I think right. there's five of them. I actually have not okay. found all five myself. The devs hid them around the map without telling me where they were, and I, I think I know where three of them are. Um, but they've been there for like nine months, so you'd think I would have found them right. all by now, but I, I just haven't. So and actually, I don't think we've ever had a hero that has found all of the Easter five. eggs. It would be pretty hard. There's, yeah. there's a good amount of them. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, you know, you're you're doing a, a type of storytelling that is very futuristic and, and future thinking. And I can only imagine your imagination is waiting for the technology to catch up with your ideas. Do you have any sense of where this is headed for you and, and where this whole interactive storytelling is headed in the metaverse? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, we're just taking it one step at a time. But certainly, um, I imagine um, a really big, rich universe of storytelling. Um, I think it's in some ways, uh, not to be derivative of Westworld, but, you know, I think they, they laid out a really compelling, um, uh, idea or structure in that, you know, once you kind of, uh, once you kind of hop into say, for example, the, the alien rescue universe, um, had a couple of options for different issues different stories we're in develop a couple of new meta movies right now um and i really like the idea of situating a, a hero or five heroes or 20 heroes in an open world where they're role-playing um like you can imagine uh if anybody ever saw like season one episode one of westworld you kind of arrive mm -hmm. at this what a western town kind of a vibe mm -hmm. um and once you're there the, the kind of the the traditional cinematic call to action um is uh, presented to you the the invitation to go on a story uh, might be presented to you uh in the form of an npc uh who wanders up and just kind of casually on the spot offers hey do you want to do this or do you want to do that so i would like to have i would like to just see um our alien rescue universe kind of expand i would like to be able to offer more stories to um the audiences as they kind of spawn into the world i would like those invitations to feel really organic um and I um, and I would like to see a lot more uh, audiences in the same space. I would love to do a mission where we had, you know, 10 heroes and 50 sidekicks. Um, that's a pretty mm -hmm. tall order. Um, and okay. you can immediately see all the obstacles that come along with that if you're trying to really uh, stick to this structured story, which is very important to me. Um, I'm not mm -hmm. interested in some type of open world 
random role play experience. I, those are super, certainly valid, but not, I just love cinema too much. I love traditional yeah. cinema too much. And I think for an audience member, it's so satisfying when somebody has gone out of their way to, to really craft a story um, that has all those traditional cinematic elements of kind of suspense and, uh, you know, you know, rising action so that, that that third act is really, really, really exciting. And it all makes sense. And the satisfaction of having an ending where things wrap up and you feel like you're leaving the story in a very satisfied way. You can really only do that if you adhere to a, a traditional cinematic storyline. Um, so how do you how do you kind of square that with, with 15 heroes at a time? Like it starts to, you know, mm -hmm. there's some challenges there. Um, but, you know, we've got our kind of internal roadmap of where we want to go. Um, and I'm super excited for the future. I mean, as technology advances, as these platforms get more sophisticated, as our um, as our headsets get more sophisticated, um, I think, you know, it, to me, as advanced as all of this does feel, I think we all kind of acknowledge that we're still in the early golden era yeah, of, of VR and, and, and the earliest days of the metaverse. So, you know, just to think about what we all might be doing, you know, five or 10 years from now, it's pretty exciting. There, one other question I had, you know, there's such a, um, I would comment a number of times on the personal touches that you give. I'm wondering how you scale that, right? That's a, that's going to be the big challenge. How do you uh, get, uh, uh, it, once this becomes mainstream, how do you get a million people like they see in a movie? You get, or is it never going to be that? It's always going to be a boutique experience where it's personalized. And um, how do you feel about that? What do you think about that? The model that I kind of look at is more like, um, more like uh, Broadway theater uh, as yeah, opposed yeah, to, yeah. to cinema. Um, you know, a good Broadway play can seat 400 people and still feel intimate. I was at a show a couple of years ago. And that's kind of the goal. I don't, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't need this project to scale up so big that it's no longer uh, no longer personal. That's not really that of interest to me. I do. I mean, we can't survive if we don't scale up because right now um, we're mm. we're losing money on the project, and I'm financing it, so I can only finance it myself for so long. Mm. We do have to. We're forced to find a way to scale, um, and it is a definitely a challenging path. But um, I think I have some ideas about how I might approach it. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah, and I, I can imagine in the future. Uh, you would have your your actors and your characters build that character and then have an AI take over that character in a sense. And, Not really. Yeah. You know, a lot of people say oh. that, um, I, I, you know, doing these types of conversations. AI thing always comes in and I just have to say right. that I'm personally not that interested. I mean. I come out of a of a tradition of live theater. I have a you know, I have a, a degree from UCLA in theater. So for me. The joy of doing something like this is with those people. Like I would never want to lose my, like my my family of actors. Like these people are very very important. That I don't think in my lifetime, at least, I don't see AI being able to hold a candle to what a live actor can do. Maybe for um, I've had this conversation with somebody. Like maybe if we're in a universe and we've got droids as NPCs and they're supposed to yeah. be kind of robotic and they're supposed to have limited right. uh, intelligence or, or limited, you know, abilities. Um, then, yeah, I could imagine a, uh, an AI actor playing a, a droid repair shop owner and your interactions with them are going to be more limited than they would be with the human, but you kind of make allowances for that as an audience member because you're interacting with a robot, right? So 
that might work. Um, but man, I mean, you, you tell me, what was your experience like with those live actors? Like, I mean, wasn't that uh, no, amazing? Uh, no, of course it's, it, yeah. you can't really match it. it uh, it, that's, it, it, you would be obviously sacrificing that, uh, personalized experience feel for something more mass, uh, um, uh, ingestible, I guess you'd say like, it's like one size fits all almost more than, uh, here's a, a very personal experience and Johnny Android, you're in the middle of it. And there's actual human beings that are interacting with you. And, uh, for sure, there's nothing that can match it. Um, well, and uh, here's the other thing that, that I'm learning is that as we start to think about, um, adding more characters to the world, to populate the world so that, uh, a hero character has more people to interact with. Um, we did a four hero show uh, a couple of weeks ago, and since it was our first one, I wasn't sure how best to make sure that these four heroes had enough to do because our experience was really built for one. So I was a little bit worried that like, all right, well, you know, everything that you get to do in this experience is is kind of geared around just one person. Once we have four of these people, are, are they going to get bored? Are they going to run out of things to do? I asked some friends of our little community in Neos, um, people who'd gone through the experience before and who had liked it a lot and, and said really positive things. I just put out a call and I said, does anybody here want to come in and um, help us out by playing some extra bad guys? Just come in and, and play some extra, we call them Qual, uh, or some of our monsters like the Skurrix monster. Um, so we brought in a group of, um, of non-actors uh, inexperienced actors uh, to play these bad guys, and they loved it. They absolutely, mm. these people absolutely loved it. So there's a, there is, I think, some abilities to maybe uh, reach out into community or even people who've gone through Alien Rescue and say, look, if you like Alien Rescue, you know, you can come back in and and role play right. with us. Come on the other side of the curtain, uh, metaphorically speaking, uh, and and populate our world as an NPC. You know, we can't really afford to pay you, or if we can't pay you, it's not going to be very much money. But what I'm learning is that people just like the experience of role play enough. So it could be that we end up kind of populating out a larger um, alien rescue story with a set of kind of paid professional trained actors who are doing the heavy lifting, but then augment a lot of those NPC characters with people coming in who don't have the experience necessarily, but just love the thrill of being part of a, of a live story, that excitement and that nervousness of doing something live where, you know, you don't want to, and, you know, maybe somebody will come and talk to you and now suddenly you have a little a moment. So I think there's some really interesting ways to explore scaling up these kind of shared storytelling experiences um, that doesn't necessarily uh, need to pivot into AI. So we'll see. I'll, I'll report back in a couple of years and let you know yeah. if it's working or not. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, uh, for for the people uh, here, for the people on YouTube watching this, for the people listening to Spotify, our podcast, wait list. I had to get it three months in advance. So, guys, get it now. Get it now before it's yeah. too popular. Um, how can people? Well, it's going to get uh, easier. It's, it's definitely going to get easier as we as we expand it to more heroes. Because right now, to right. get that hero slot is really hard. And we're only, you know, we're only running. Kind of mission is to run three shows a month. You know, three weekends a month, three Saturdays a month. Um, because really, you know, we're we're all still holding down our day jobs. Um, none of us are, are able to quit our day jobs, and we're not making enough revenue. If we were making uh, enough revenue on every show, we would run a lot more shows. Um, but right now we're kind of running at a loss. So 
Um, so yeah, our typical, uh, we, we typically run on Saturday afternoons, uh, 2 PM Eastern time, uh, out of Neos. Um, we do a kind of a, a ticket drop every three months where we announce our, our next kind of run it by the quarter. So we're just about to announce our, our fall dates, uh, any day now. Um, we, we drop those tickets. They do sell out in like 24 hours. They're all, they're all, all the heroes tickets are sold out, but the psychic tickets don't sell out. We've got plenty of psychic tickets. These are the little, um, muted uh ibot avatars that if you look at our trailer on our website uh, themetamovie.com you'll see we can accommodate about 15 of those per show um and those tickets are, are really affordable and that's a really really fun experience we keep adding agency to those uh ibots uh you know as often as possible so i i think that's a great alternative if you can't nab a, a hero ticket um, but going forward, I'm, I'm pretty sure that we're going to start offering these four hero experiences, which means it's going to be a lot easier to get a hero ticket. Um, so please stay tuned. We're, uh, you can learn more about our project on our website, themetamovie.com. Um, and, uh, you know, we are a PC VR uh, experience, so we're, we're not quite uh, quest friendly uh, unless you, uh, you know, tether to a VR PC. But we also live stream our shows to Twitch. Um, and you can find us at, uh, just search the meta movie on Twitch and you'll find us. And what's kind of fun about the, the live stream is that we have some interactive chat commands. So you're not just passively watching, you can kind of type in some chat commands and those trigger in game uh, or in world, um, actions that are live and spontaneous that nobody knows about, you know, none of the cast and the, and the heroes are acting it. So, uh, and we're building out that part, that portion of our project too. We're going to keep adding more and more of these Twitch chat, Twitch chat commands so that we could try to reach uh, audiences on that level too. One more thing too, we do offer a desktop experience. Um, so if you have a PC, but you don't have VR and you want to do Alien Rescue, you can. You can put a gaming headset on and just use your mouse and keyboard. And we've had heroes and iBots come through in desktop and they, they have a good time. Great. Well, yeah, I, I was almost having to do that because my headset was giving me trouble. But um, so, I mean, you know. yeah, I mean, you know, I will also put in our show notes the, the links to your website, the links to the YouTube video. You Thank can you. actually watch my experience uh, in full. It's on YouTube. Um, and you've got Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all TikTok, everything. We'll put all that in the show notes. Uh, so if anyone's thank curious, you. just go there. Sure. Um, yeah, and just you know, uh, thank you first of all for for creating this amazing experience, putting your heart and soul into it, putting the effort into it, and creating a really really fun Saturday event for myself and anyone else who goes involved. And then secondarily, you know, thank you so much for being here and uh, and spending your time in in little old all space. Not nearly as beautiful as Neos, but it's all we got. Uh, I love all space. <laughs> I mean, I, I've taught my VR class in all space um, for many 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 times. Uh, I try to get over to Altspace as often as possible. In fact, uh, the wonderful uh, world builder, Rebecca Evans, made a, uh, like a tribute mm -hmm. world to Alien Rescue in mm -hmm. Altspace um, that you can go visit if you just search for it. Uh, she, she kind of redid the Black Hawk in her, in her own way. It was really cool. I really love that world. So, um, yeah, thank you for having me here. Uh, I'm happy to come back anytime. I really hope we'll see you and, uh, and some of your friends come by and do Alien Rescue again, maybe explore the dark side, uh, okay. maybe push our boundaries a little bit. We would love to have you back. Um, and thanks for everybody who came in and out of, of today's uh, talk. Uh, always fun to just share this stuff. I mean, I'm super passionate about it, so it's all, uh, my pleasure. Cool. Well, thank you, everybody, for teleporting in to this world cast of Simulation <laughs> Nation, whether you're with us here at Virtual Reality, listening to the thoughts podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or watching on YouTube at The Simulation Nation. 
And remember to subscribe to our Instagram at The Simulation Nation, Twitter at SimNationVR, and our Discord server. And join us next week where we talk to a group of highly gifted healers using the metaverse to spread the love through their group called Angelic Healing. Till then, stay plugged, my friends. Yeah. <laughs>